Hey, y'all, you should sign up for my Substack. It's scotthortonshow.substack.com. And if you do that, you'll get the interviews a day before everybody else. But not only that, they'll be free of commercials. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? scotthortonshow.substack.com. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right. Welcome to Hot Seat Grant F. Smith. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, (laughs) hey everybody on the line. I got the great Grant Smith. He's my good buddy. And he wrote 100 books about the Israel lobby and their above board and below board activities in the United States of America, including stealing weapons, great uranium and nuclear triggers and all of that. And um, what he is, is he's the director of the Institute for Research, Middle Eastern Policy. That's IRMEP, I-R-M-E-P, IRMEP.org. And what you do is just go to Google or your favorite search engine and type in site, colon, IRMEP.org, space, dot PDF, and see what you get. Because what he does is... He sues under the Freedom of Information Act and uh, uses other avenues to get his hands on primary source documents to tell the true history of the Israel lobby and what in the hell they get away with in this country, which is just about beyond belief. So welcome back to the show, my friend Grant. How are you? Hey, Scott. Great to be back. Thanks for the uh, great intro. And it is true that we're spending a lot of time in our budget getting documents through FOIA and it's been tough couple years because things kind of got slow there during COVID, but we're back on track. All right. Well, good. Again, that's IRMEP.org. And also check out uh, all of Grant's books at Amazon. There's a bunch of them and they're great. So listen, um, I got to ask you, first of all, about the return of Benjamin Netanyahu to the prime ministerness over there in Israel. And especially his alliance with some of these um, further right parties in Israel. Can you please give us a lowdown on what has happened here and what you think it means for the near term? Well, I mean, Netanyahu has basically made common cause with one of the most extreme politicians, Ben Gvir, who has been, you know kind of uh, cock party light. I'm sorry, what's his name again? Uh, ben Gavir? Gavir, okay. Just yeah. he said it fast, I want to make sure we're clear, because this is a new character for a lot of us here. Yeah. And he's, he's from uh, the what party, and is what's so what about him? I don't, I don't know that I can name the party, uh, but the thing that was important to me and struck me was that he was a big supporter of the terrorists who killed a bunch of praying Palestinians with a machine gun back in the 90s and was, you know, basically had the guy's portrait on his wall until he was finally convinced to take it down. But this this is a hardcore pro 
uh, finish the ethnic cleansing job, push all the Palestinians out of the uh, West Bank, if you can get away with it, type uh, radical, who is going to be taking some sort of extremely important position within the Netanyahu administration. I think, you know, he's so unpalatable that even the Biden administration is trying to distance itself from him and... You know, they've had the uh, ambassador, Tom uh, Nides, U.S. ambassador to Israel, basically say that uh, they're not going to accept any sort of annexation. They're kind of putting out some unusually strong statements for uh, the usually completely in Israel's pockets, Joe Biden, um, and kind of putting up some red flags that they don't want to see crossed. But... You know, as I, I was talking to Eric Garris a few days ago, we don't really follow Israeli elections as much as we follow Israel's uh, interventions in our elections through right. the foreign influence operation that they set up in this country now known as APAC. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some great Israeli journalists who <laughs> are basically asking their Western contacts for information and sponsorship of immigrating at this point over this. Oh, man. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really important that, um, you know, the uh, the party of um, old uh, uh, Rabbi Kahane, right. who was assassinated by Egyptian Islamic Jihad in New York in 1990. Yeah. That, his party was banned by the Israeli Supreme Court for being, quote, fascist. And right. they said, like, yeah, if you guys are so far to the right that you're um, demanding the expulsion of the millions of Palestinians remaining on the West Bank under Israeli control there, that's that's just too far. It's illegal for you to be a political party in Israel. So this guy just changed their name and has the same policy, essentially, but comes from that same spectrum. And that's really something because Israel's a pretty right-wing society overall anyway. So, you know, politically. So when it comes to a guy like this being too distasteful, like, wow, he really did yeah. something wrong, you know? Exactly. And, you know, it's... Um, but, you know, it, the U.S. has kind of helped precipitate this situation by... Uh, I would say erroneously removing the uh, cock party from the uh, FBI list of terrorist organizations because they clearly were a terrorist organization. So the U.S. you know needs to stop doing things like that if it wants to be seen as any sort of uh, honest uh, broker, which it's never been. But uh, yeah, it's. You know, the U.S., I'm sure they'll find a way, some modus vivendi, and this Thomas Nyes, although he's saying no annexation, was also quick to phone Netanyahu and congratulate him and all of that. So, they're, you know, both sides are going to be working overtime to paper over what's going on, and uh, so I, I don't expect too much more other than this recent sort of... Uh, you know, red flag that's been thrown down. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's the thing. It shouldn't obscure the real controversy, which is, oh, God, Benjamin Netanyahu is back. Just right. when he was not there, now here he is again. Um, but, you know, I did read that this guy, I guess it's not settled yet, 
but if he takes his presumed position, he'll have control over the Temple Mount. Right. So it's so exactly like, oh, good. They're going to start sacrificing animals and bring on the second coming and all this yeah, now. He, okay. He's, he's like Netanyahu, <laughs> he sees great political uh, sort of uh, benefit to stirring up the uh, Temple Mount and, and talking about, you know, all of this uh, replacing the uh, film of the rock with the, the temple and all of that. So it's, you know, he's clearly a bomb thrower and clearly you know, really respects some real bomb float throwers. So, you know, that doesn't make it too different than some of Israel's former prime ministers who were basically in terrorist organizations back in the day. So, you know, they've kind of got a history of this. Uh, and I'm sure the, it'll be papered over. So yeah. we'll, we'll just have to see. All right. Well, anyway, I know your speciality is the Israel lobby in the United States. But, of course, it's a huge part of how Israel could be run by such a bunch of right-wing kooks, because if they just had to deal with the European Union or whatever, they would have insisted long ago that you guys move left or lose support. And yeah. But with the Americans, they just got our Congress completely locked, stock, and barrel, and I don't know how much of it is blackmail. I mean, we know from Edward Snowden and uh, Glenn Greenwald in The Guardian that the NSA turns over their entire hall to Israel every day. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so, you know, they're they real, don't even uh, need Jeffrey Epstein to get everybody laid by a seventeen-year-old or whatever, and and trick them and blackmail them when they yeah. just are in everybody's cell phone in their pocket. Lots of redundancy there, and uh, yeah, I, I I've already seen some stuff coming out, some sort of apologetics over the religious Zionist party being emitted by some major. Uh, Federation umbrella group. So the uh, the nodes of the Israel affinity ecosystem, as I sometimes call it, are going to be working overtime to sort of uh, whitewash this guy and give him, you know, the the history that he's going to need to survive. But you know, who knows how long they'll last? How many elections has Israel had over the fa past couple of years? It's it's not exactly demonstrating much stability and continuity. So you know, maybe. Maybe he won't contribute to its longevity in its present form. Yeah. Well, I mean, the worst thing about Netanyahu is how much influence he has in D.C. I mean, this guy Bennett was never a nice guy, but when he was the prime minister, it was like, who's Bennett again? Which right. is, and and he had dropped some of the worst stuff that he had at least been saying. I don't know exactly about his record, but um, I know that it's not the kind of thing where he comes to town and all the Republicans and Democrats line up to kiss his shoes in the way that they do for Netanyahu. So, yeah, I'm not sure that would happen though. If you think about sort of the roll call that's been taking place at APAC for years and years, where both parties go to the Washington Convention Center and stand to attention to, uh, you know, any sort of video feed or live presentation of uh, Netanyahu, I don't think they could do that right now. They the protests have been growing every year. And, you know, as we talked about early in the year, APAC, the lead lobbying node has pivoted to strictly moving money around and they're not even trying to do their signature uh, public policy event and lobbying day here in Washington. We've been looking for that and it doesn't look like it's going to happen next year either. Yeah. I saw some progressives on Twitter growing that yeah. APAC had dumped millions of dollars into trying to... Uh, support a Republican and defeat this Democrat woman in, I think, Pennsylvania, and that they lost anyway. 
and then progressives were crowing. Yeah, summer. Exactly. They tried pretty hard to uh, bump her off. And I, for one, thought they were going to succeed because they've had so many successes this year. But uh, it looks like the power of the dollar couldn't win. And Summer Lee's the projected winner, if not the winner, by this time of House District 12. So Interesting. And so, well, hopefully they caused a grudge and a vendetta there. You know, I don't know. There's that one lady uh, from the Midwest who just got reelected to, is it Murray, who's pretty good on Israel, who, for whatever reason, they can't unelect her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are certain people that they don't seem to be able to, like Rashida Tlaib, you know, easily won. And it's because she really, you know, I think embodies uh, what her community is all about. So for certain uh, districts, it doesn't matter how much APAC um, sort of uh, dark money gets pumped into the election. They're going to just waste it. Patty Murray of Washington. Um, so, yeah, there, there have been some, some pretty, good, uh, pretty good wins. You know, other times, though, they clearly could have spent more and just didn't. As we talked about, you know, each one of these seats is worth around 13 to 15 million if you take the whole aid package and divide it by members of Congress. So, you know, if, if you look at it that way, hey, Israel can get weapons it can't get anywhere else if these Congress people are all on board. It's worth a lot to APAC to uh, make sure the right people win and... You know, they they really don't take any principled stands. If people are going to support the big aid package and unconditionally uh, praise Israel, they're going to get APAC support. So it's pretty amazing. But uh, right. as as we talked about last time, and I hate to, to do this on your show, there's a whole 13-part series that we put out, which is like an audio book, except it's free, called How Israel Made APAC, which really looks at all the money Israel and it's proto-government, the Jewish agency, pumped into the U.S. to set up APAC. And, you know, nobody in the mainstream media is ever going to say that APAC is really a foreign influence operation. But, <laughs> but we certainly will and have the research to back it up because everything in that podcast is fully cited in a 350-page uh, updated book called How Israel Made APAC. So there's just no questioning you know, the money may be mostly American now, but APAC was not set up with U.S. funds. And the people who set it up uh, definitely were very honest in their own never-read biographies about how it all came to be. So this, to me, is the biggest foreign influence on American elections. There's just, you can talk about Russia or China all you want, but Israel has the influence and it's definitely wielding it in this election cycle. Sorry, hang on just one second. Hey guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm gonna start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. Thanks. Hey y'all, libertasbella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See? That way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's libertasbella.com. You guys check it out. This is so cool. 
The great Mike Swanson's new book is finally out. He's been working on this thing for years. And I admit I haven't read it yet. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. But I know you guys are going to want to beat me to it. It's called Why the Vietnam War, Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 61. And as he explains on the back here, all of our popular culture and our retellings and our history and our movies are all about the height of the American war there in, say, 1964 through 1974. But how do we get there? Why is this all Harry Truman's fault? Find out in Why the Vietnam War by the great Mike Swanson. Available now. Yeah, well, um, yeah, people really should look at that. How Israel made APAC, and you can find it on YouTube and, of course, at earmep.org. Now, uh, check this out. On October 24, 2022, IRMEP received a trove of FBI files requested in 2019 under the Freedom of Information Act. Well, tell us all about that, Grant. Yeah, so this is what I'm saying. It was a slow period during COVID, and we got hardly anything, and then suddenly uh, we get this. And just to back up a little bit, you know, We've been trying to get information about the ADL ever since we found out a decade or more ago that it had this major influence on the FBI. And so, you know, the J. Edgar Hoover uh, was resisting uh, a lot of pressure from the ADL to share FBI files, to collaborate on joint investigations and all these undue, utterly unacceptable things the ADL was trying to do in the 1940s, but he, he finally collapsed and decided that he was going to have each of his field offices liaise with their anti-defamation league counterpart, in quotes, regional offices. And so you know, why is this important today? Well, Christopher Ray of the FBI was just presenting at the ADL's national conference uh, this week. And on November 10, he basically stood there and talked about how wonderful the training curriculum the ADL gives uh, all budding agents, which has been going on for two decades, how wonderful that is and how motivated uh, his officers were when they visited the Holocaust Museum to see a police officer standing next to a Nazi SS officer, quote, failing to protect people from harm, unquote. So the ADL has been brainwashing the FBI for two decades to really sort of adopt the worldview of not only the ADL, but the Israel lobby, that basically it's a great thing uh, for the ADL to have this uh, law enforcement exchange where sheriffs and police and uh, all sorts of uh, federal officers are going for training uh, homeland security by the Israelis who basically function as a settler colonial police force. And so if Christopher Ray had any semblance of being uh, balanced, he would have pulled out a picture of an Israeli police officer with his knee on the neck of a Palestinian and asked himself whether that's a great example for the training of U.S. police. But, you know, so watching Ray uh, do his performance at the ADL conference on November 10 
was kind of a reminder of how damaging this relationship is, but also how little people know about it. So this trove of documents we received was basically just an open FOIA request with the ever-present threat of a lawsuit next to the bottom of it saying, we want to know about all the communications between the FBI and the ADL. And essentially what we found is that, if anything, the number, the sheer number of meetings taking place uh, between FBI uh, enforcement uh, people and the ADL has just skyrocketed. They're constantly meeting with each other uh, under this program um, that the ADL has set up, um, which is the uh, law enforcement uh, liaison channel, and continually swapping information, doing training events, um, and basically uh, the law enforcement exchange advisory committee, it's called LIAC, is taking up a substantial amount of their time. Um, one of the interesting things that we uncovered was that the ADL has created a new category. We hadn't seen this before in any of our previous FOIAs, which is designed to trigger the FBI's legal obligation to investigate potential violations of the uh, so-called Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Hate Crimes Prevention Act which makes it unlawful for people to conspire to intimidate or hurt or threaten everybody uh, and their uh, privileges under the Constitution. So they've designed these reports that they pump into the FBI of threats to mainly Jewish organizations and synagogues and things like that. But this time around, they pumped in a report which was uh, targeting uh, this white nationalist organization called Vanguard. And they detailed how this was uh, sending people and unfurling bear, uh, banners, Vanguard America, to their website with threatening messages. And then they tacked in Friends of Sabil and the American Muslim Alliance, which are two underfunded... <laughs> I would say, uh, very humble pro-Palestinian organizations at the bottom of the report. So there's a really clear effort to conflate uh, Vanguard America with Friends of Sabil North America and the American Muslim Alliance. And, you know, even the FBI, as gullible as it is, disregarded this by saying basically that the ADL has a political... Uh, difference with these two organizations. Uh, as they put it, uh, the ADL has an ideological disagreement with Friends of Seville, and there is no threat reporting. So, you know, it's a, I see it as kind of something new the ADL is trying. You file this very scary looking threat report, and then, like a mixing bowl, you throw in some other organizations. And who knows, pretty soon, maybe the US will have a law allowing. Uh, the lobby and Israel affinity groups to recommend shuttering the uh, U.S. headquarters of uh, Defense of Children International and some of the other groups that have been shuttered in Israel uh, as the uh, police and other uh, state actors basically put steel barriers on the doors of all of these organizations and shut them down. With Defense of Children International, they're notorious terrorists. 
Right. right. Hey, I mean, I think, isn't there an important lesson for the right here that you see what they do? They take actual Hitler-loving, violent Nazis who will stab some innocent black guy or massacre Jews at their uh, synagogue or something, and then they're trying to equate that with run-of-the-mill, essentially, Arab charities and Muslim groups the same way that they conflate those extremely dangerous uh, dangerous terrorist Nazi types with regular right wingers who show up at city council meetings or show up at school board meetings and say, I "Hey, say, I don't yeah. like the way these things are going now." They go, "Oh, you sound like a domestic terrorist to me." When here they are participating in democratic politics. Nope, Absolutely. not good enough. Um, so there is that's the same there. thing they do to Muslims yeah. too. It's the same thing they've been doing with the right wing's ascent. For the last 20 years. Now it's blowing back a little bit. And, yeah, nobody, you know, how about we just insist on fairness for everybody? This kind of thing is crazy, man. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's unbalanced. It's unhinged. And, yeah, I agree completely. It's uh, the FBI is not. I mean, they are adopting the worldview of the ADL. And the ADL is basically a transmission belt for a lot of other organizations, including APAC. In terms of some really weird, um, you know, propositions, you know, just by just by dint of longevity, you know, you have um, the FBI focusing more on uh, things that the ADL is telling them is the sacred truth, like the bombing of the AMIA Center in Argentina. It's just mm-hmm. an article of faith now that uh, elements within the Argentine government during the dirty war couldn't have possibly had anything to do with that, that it was definitely Hezbollah. Um, you know, and it's, you know, these are, these are the entities that are training the FBI and they pretty much have to swallow these uh, things as fact, even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. I think, uh, one of the best uh, new pieces. I know Gareth Porter's been doing reporting on that for quite a while and sort of taking some of the threads apart. But it really, you know, it really alters, I think, the FBI's uh, willingness to inflict violence on Americans when they have all of these sort of myths in their mindset and are spending so much time training with the ADL. They will, they have not released any of the training materials that the ADL has been uh, pumping into their special agent trainees. We've asked for it year after year. They haven't released not even a single curriculum. But we do have an idea now because of this latest piece what some of the uh, law enforcement advisory council people are doing. And we kind of put out a, a, a little piece on that as well. So the Law Enforcement Advisory Committee actually sent special agents uh, to go to an exhibit called Operation Finale, the capture and trial of Adolf Eichmann uh, in Illinois. And so these agents had to traipse through this exhibit, uh, honoring Raphael Eitan, the Israeli uh, operative and long-term Mossad officer and his brilliant kidnapping of the Nazi Adolf Eichmann in Argentina so he could be taken back to Israel and tried and executed. You know, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting to imagine these officers who don't know anything traipsing through the exhibit. They don't know Raphael Eitan. 
ran Jonathan Pollard against the United States and what was the biggest and most damaging intelligence theft in American history. They don't know Rafael Eitan was visiting the Nuclear Materials and Equipment Corporation in Apollo, Pennsylvania. You know, the plant we've talked about before, which lost enough weapons-grade uranium to fuel 12 bombs. By the way, Grant, I was at an event recently, and I met a kid who Mm -hmm. said, oh, yeah, I heard you talking all about that uh, New Mech stuff recently. I can't remember if it was the interview of you he was referring to, or it might have come up in something else. But anyway, he goes, yeah, I used to mow the lawn at that site. Isn't that what he said? So, yeah, I think he was like, did the landscaping at (laughs) that nuclear wasteland. Oh, man, I hope he wore a mask. Well, I know, know. I told him, like, man, I hope you got some strong chemotherapy. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, so these, so this is what I'm talking about. This is the brainwashing of, you know, the premier law enforcement agency. They don't know anything about this. They don't know that the uh, operation they're honoring at this ADL event uh, was by somebody who probably did more harm to the U.S. than any other foreign uh, spy, and they're just drinking this stuff up. Uh, so it really, it really twists, I think, the whole counterintelligence uh, mission. I mean, I mentioned in the report that there used to be a uh, counterintelligence national counterintelligence center report on economic espionage, which always put Israel in the top three. Uh, offenders of stealing secrets that could be put to economic use. But I would think that any FBI special agent who was constantly going to ADL events lauding Israeli spies would probably be less interested in protecting the U.S. from that, especially when they see the political pull of these organizations and, you know, probably looking for Hezbollah under every uh, bush and, and nook and cranny in the U.S. Yeah. Everybody, please read Grant's books. Uh, his biggest, best one is Big Israel, but then there's also the Israel lobby interstate government divert about them stealing all the uranium and the rest of that. And the latest is this great audiobook, How Israel Made APAC. And uh, just check out everything he's got at irmepirmep.org. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.